Welcome to Fraternal Review, the podcast. We are honored to have worshipful brother Doug Russell, editor-in-chief of Fraternal Review and former master of the Southern California Research Lodge, here with us again today to discuss the Fraternal Review issue entitled Truth. This marks the last in our podcast series based on the three tenets of Freemasonry, brotherly love, relief, and truth. Welcome to the show, brother Doug. Ah, thank you. Good to be back. It's incredible to have you here sitting down with us yet again. And just for starters, we love to open this up with what inspired you to work on this three-part series? Remind us, um, you know, what was the genesis of embarking on this three-part series dedicated to our Masonic tenets? Well, they're called the three principal tenets. So they're very fundamental to masonry. A, a tenet is defined as something really basic, fundamental. And the number three is, is big in masonry. We have the symbolism of numbers is important in masonry. We have three degrees. We have three principal officers. We have the three pillars of the lodge, which are the anchors of the lodge, which is wisdom, strength, and beauty. So to have these fundamentals, brotherly love, relief, and truth, in the Fraternal Review is just the basis of the Fraternal Review, which is to present the most beginning introductory Masonic education in depth on what is the many fundamentals of Freemasonry. So that's that's it in a nutshell. That's great. Yeah, and I know that my experience at least speaks to the fact that even though something is simple or fundamental, to use your borrow your word there, it doesn't necessarily make it easy to attain, understand, or necessarily work on. Sometimes the most fundamental things are those that really need further attention and, and really can prove to be complex over time once we dig into them. Absolutely, yeah. But look, I was reading back through these three issues preparing for these uh, podcasts, and I realized how dense they are in a certain way with ideas about what is brotherly love, you know, what is truth, and it's complex. It's got so many different views from over the three centuries that uh, Masons have been writing about these things. So you can go back into these issues and go dig deeper and deeper, and it's just a long process, I think, to really get deeply into it and understand it fully. Yeah. And one may also agree with the fact that a master, so to speak, is one who knows those fundamentals <laughs> backwards and forwards, in and out, you know, all the all the uh, aspects of our craft and then can teach them, write on them, reflect on them um, in their, their many various ways. So looking at these three principal tenets and completing this series, we could call it a master's work of sorts. So how does it feel to have completed and published this quote unquote master's work for mm -hmm. fraternal review on the principal tenets? Well, I'm, I'm, it's very, it's been very satisfying and very rewarding. Uh, my uh, whole journey in this seven years of being the editor in chief of this, this publication has been one of having to study pull together something on a topic, get it ready for publication. So my own education as a Mason has come through the necessity to come up with 
all this material on a monthly basis. So I think uh, that's what I would think all master masons uh, and all at masons at all levels are charged to do really is to engage in lifelong learning and, and deepen and right. deepen their learning about the craft. Yep, I completely agree. What other reflections do you have, or I guess have come to you in this process or now that the process is over, what types of reflections do you want to share with us? Hmm. Well, I think actually building on what I was just saying, you know, masonry is set apart from other types of organizations uh, by being an initiatic society. So initiation is at the heart of our work, the three degrees of masonry. And initiation means to initiate, to begin, to start something. So when you go through one of the Masonic initiations, you're just starting to learn about that all the teachings that are in there. So like we were just saying, it's going to take years to find to really get into depth with what was begun during that initiation. So I, to me, I just can't help but emphasize how important it is to continue study and to contemplate these things. And the, the, the degrees the, the ritual teaches us or encourages us contemplate these things. And the, even in the closing prayer, when you leave the lodge, every single meeting, you're encouraged to study the sacred, the sacred writings that will help you become a better man and a better Mason. So that's the basics as far as I'm concerned of, uh, mm -hmm. of what this has been all about. Yeah. And be, before we, I guess, dig into the specific topic of truth, which is obviously going to be the, the lion's share of our conversation here. One thing retrospectively looking at is that uh, one thing you pointed out in your editor's word is that each tenet has been touted as the primary tenet. They are the principal tenets, you know, all three. And yet some believe, such as McBride reflecting on love or Brother uh, Dunkerley makes relief. Number one, we have Royal Arch Chaplain making the case that truth comes first. So which is your favorite? Is there one primary or favorite tenet? of these three or do you also feel that truth ranks supreme compared to the other tenets i think i've seen it both ways and you know, sometimes i think that the tenets are all attributes of the supreme being love truth giving charity that all that space all are kind of together as divine uh, attributes and and virtues in mankind but I, I lean toward toward truth you know th there's a place in ritual where it defines a tenet and it defines it as a teaching that's obviously true universally accepted we believe it without question that sort of idea and that is also we find that in the declaration of independence you know we hold these truths to be self-evident self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights, the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So truth seems to me to be the basis of all that. And then as we, as I went along with this magazine, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, there gets to be the idea of absolute truth, that that's the truth, that there is a supreme being, that, that Masons, by their very beginning of coming into the craft they don't come in unless they say yeah i do believe in a supreme being and so that 
truth, which is sometimes synonymous with a supreme being. The great, greatest truth of all is that which is greater than everything else and has created everything, makes truth in this way the, the number one in my view. That's wonderful. That's the first time I've heard someone compare the principal tenets of Freemasonry to tenets or aspects of the supreme being. I also reflect on how, you know, I've, I've learned along the way that we have truth with a lowercase t and then truth with a capital T. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the, the truth with a small t is something we'll talk about later, I'm sure, that we distinguish personal truth from, you know, other kinds of truth, spiritual truth, mm-hmm. absolute truth. So, yeah. Right. I think that's a good segue. How do you define then or, or think we should experience our quest for truth, maybe through the, the eyes of a Freemason? Well, I think the operative word is quest. You know, what is our quest for truth? I, it's funny, you know, starting to work on the issue of truth, I say, well, now I'm going to have to write and tell the Masons what the truth really is. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it just isn't like that. And the more I read about it, the more I see a number of different Masonic authors saying, this is a journey, it's a quest, it's, uh, it's something that we all must seek for ourselves. So, um, yeah, that I think is the most important thing is to recognize that there is lifelong learning and the search, and there's a great mystery that we'll never fully comprehend. Thank God, really, that we will never fully comprehend. Therefore, there's a lifelong quest to get closer and closer and more and more uh, connected to that which is greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's just that pursuit or that quest in that direction that is most meaningful? Well, I, I think so, yeah, the commitment to do that. I think that's what we see in our in our literature, the the commitment to know yourself better and know that as a child of the one almighty parent, you have a spark of the divine within you. You partake of the supreme being in your your own way and you need to learn uh, and open up more and more and more to what that actually is and to live that, that life based upon that knowledge. Yeah, that's great. One of the articles that uh, stood out to me in this issue was Brother Jim Tresner's article. And he has a quote that I want to ask you about. He says in, in his article that we can know facts, but we believe truths. Can we know truths as well? Hmm. Well, let me tell you about Brother Tresner's thinking. Um, he, uh, he says, you know, facts are things like, um, Water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So he says that's a fact. That's something that you can prove by measurement, by the use of a thermometer and that sort of thing. So so that's, you say we know facts, we believe truth. So we know, we can know these things that we can measure, that scientists and groups of scientists can come to develop knowledge and we know that knowledge, but we believe truths, which you know, one person says, I believe that uh, uh, Jesus is my personal savior and that, that he that he will come again. Whereas another person will say, you know, I believe that Muhammad was the last of the prophets. All of that has already been done. You know, there, there's no, we don't need another prophet to come along. So that's a belief. 
That's believing in something that you can't prove or disprove. Uh, yeah, and I think it's a slippery slope. You start to get into semantics a little bit. Yeah. What What's the difference between knowing something and, and believing something? It, yeah. it feels like what you described was faith, that we have faith in beliefs, but we have scientific like evidence around facts. Is, is that another way to, to think of this? That's the way to think of it. Yeah, that's truth. There are different kinds of truth. You can say, I believe, I, my, it is true for me that this particular religious belief is mine, and I, it's true. I see it as true. Mm -hmm. That's a belief. That's faith. Yep. Another quote from Brother Tresner's article is, when we're dealing with myths, we're dealing with truths. This really caught my attention as well. What are your uh, thoughts on, on this inflection? Going back to what I was just saying, I was comparing, say, Christian view to an to a Islamic view. And both Jesus and Muhammad taught in parables. They would, they would use myths to, to convey their teachings. So I think that uh, when it comes to belief, beliefs, they are often presented kind of veiled or through stories, storytelling, through, through myths and parables. So that's where he, Trustner is saying, you know, myths are about truths, which is, again, the, 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 the counterpoint to that is facts are about scientific investigation and evidence and consensus among scientists, you know. And in Freemasonry, mythology is huge. You know, we have a whole mythology of how Masonry was formed, where it came from. And a lot of that is just pointing to some deeper beliefs or truths that Masons hold about uh, the importance of geometry in this world, the who the great architect of the universe is, and how he is a grand geometer, and how over the centuries, uh, you know, architecture ha has developed it really the, the as god is an architect of the universe we can be architects of our own life and that's all comes out of myth you know you can't you can believe that but you can't maybe prove that to another person that's true that's true and some of us may not believe all of the the mythology either right i mean is it a, is it our place as freemasons to pick and choose parts of the myth that we do and don't believe in? Is it, is there right or wrong? Like kind of guidance is there around knowing <laughs> truthful truths or factual truths of the myth? Well, I think the guidance you see it in, in uh, I'm not remember exactly where Albert Pike, the great uh, 19th century uh, Mason and author of all the Scottish right degrees, pretty much he, and a lot of spiritual teachers down through the ages will say don't believe this just because i say it because i tell you it's true investigate it for yourself i only ask you to have an open mind take in what my teachings are what i'm trying to tell you and then you decide what fits for you and where you can plug into some of these great uh, ideas that are universal ideas yeah and i think that circles back to the quote too when we're dealing with those myths that perhaps we've felt or experienced or remained open to, and in some ways ha have felt their truism, when we're dealing with those myths that do resonate with us, 
we are dealing with our own perhaps personal truths uh, yes. as well as some of those absolute truths that have been more widely accepted and and passed on through the ages this might be a good place to to transition i know you you called out the five psychological levels of truth what are those five psychological levels well, well, this could get us down into the weeds here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying not was, to get there too quickly. <laughs> uh, I, I I wrote a four-page article, which is that it's that's the basis of it in this uh, is truth issue, and um, I, I let me try to combine them because when you're listening to it in a podcast, I'm not sure it may be kind of difficult. There's personal truth and there's objective truth. This is two of them: personal and objective truth. The two of the five. And this is what we were just talking about, where personal truth is, I believe certain things. Objective right. truth is what scientists have come to, right? Jim Tresner, amazing man. He passed away maybe three years ago, and I had the good fortune to see him speak several times where he was uh, the director of the works of the Scottish Rite in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And he would say about personal truth, he says, you know, I, I could tell you, that my grandson is the smartest kid in the whole world. You know, I love that kid, and he is just mm -hmm. the brightest kid you could ever imagine. Well, that's a personal truth, because if you would uh, do IQ tests on his grandson and a lot of other kids, you'd probably find other some other kids somewhere in the world with higher IQ than his kid. He's, sure. He thinks his kid is the smartest in the whole world. That's a personal truth. He's not lying about it. He's not. So there's a lot of personal truths, and they come out of your culture. You know, the culture you're in determines a lot of your idea about truth until you kind of be mature to the point where you can see that my culture is just one way of thinking. There are lots of other cultures out there. And so personal truth versus objective truth is my personal idea just within my culture versus what scientists or what a much broader consensus that sees the world from a objective standpoint that's objective truth so you got personal versus objective so moral truth versus spiritual truth uh masonry and masonry they they're the writings of the the ritual in masonry also talk about moral truths and spiritual truths so we find moral truths in uh the teachings about the uh cardinal virtues you know, and and about brotherly love being a person who is loving and so there those are it's about character morality is about building character which is what we do spiritual quest is more about it's about something deeper and i just wanted to quote from ritual because some people don't necessarily think masonry is particularly spiritual but it's just a moral it's some moral teachings and they're obvious and they are they are obvious they're pretty obvious the moral teachings uh but when you had the four cardinal virtues which we did four issues on last year those are moral teachings and they're spelled out prudence uh, justice those types of qualities build building characters but being a better person in this world toward other people but the spiritual quest is more about uh, and that truth, those truths are more about your relationship to the divine, that which is much greater than you. And here's what the ritual says kind of about spiritual. I really like this. There's two things here. 
in our craft, we uh, rely a lot on the uh, working tools of stonemasons, using them as symbols. And the stonemasons have uh, a symbol, uh, what's called the gavel. They use the gavel, which is like a little hammer, to hammer off the rough parts of the stones so that they can smooth them out and make them the perfect squared shapes to, for a building. And uh, in the ritual, it says that, uh, you know, we, who are speculative masons, use this gavel for a more glorious purpose we're gonna we're chipping away at our minds and our conscience the parts of us that are don't think right or that that just learn things in our in our culture that aren't necessarily true for other people so we as we chip off those rough parts of ourself it's uh, the ritual says we're fitting our minds as living stones for a spiritual building a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then in the, in another point in ritual about the spiritual versus the moral, there's talk about how architects make a blueprint for a building. So stonemasons follow the blueprint of the building. Speculative masons look at the blueprint made by the divine architect of the universe. They look at all of nature and how all of nature is designed then what we do as speculative masons, the ritual says, is we endeavor to erect our spiritual building agreeably to the rules and designs laid down by the supreme architect of the universe in the great book of nature and revelation. And that great book is our spiritual, moral, and Masonic blueprint or plan of life. So moral and spiritual and Masonic are kind of divided out in the ritual as distinct aspects of truth and types of truth. And then finally, there's absolute truth. And I would like to read you one thing that was said about absolute truth. You and I spoke of it a while ago here. Yes, please. That it has to do more with that which is absolutely transcendent of the Supreme Being. And I think the only reach that maybe at moments of, of peak moments of life or when deep meditation, mm -hmm. deeply contemplating. And it's be beautifully said, written about by our brother, uh, William Wilmshurst, W.L. Wilmshurst, who was a great mystical mason of the early 20th century. And here's how he describes it, which I think is quite wonderful and amazing. I'm gonna read this little paragraph from my True self-knowledge is unobstructed conscious union of the human spirit with God and the realization of their identity, the spirit and our spirit and God being identified. That identic union, the unreal superficial selves have become in that union obliterated. The sense of personality is lost, merged in the impersonal and universal. The little ego is assumed into the great all and that little ego knows as it as a grand all knows man realizes his own inherent ultimate divinity and thenceforth lives and acts no longer as a separate individual with an independent will but in integration with the divine life and will whose instrument he becomes whose purposes he thenceforth serves that's a take on absolute truth. That's really great. Thank you for sharing that. 
I think the sense of the absolute truth and having it in terms of unobstructed knowledge and a union with the universal or divine all, that kind of brings us back to an earlier point that you were making that these tenets, we find them you know, at each level and including at the level or the, as aspects of that supreme being, supreme architect, as we say, do you then think, or I, I know this, this question um, might be catching you a bit off guard, but do you think then that the supreme architect may also have five distinct levels of truth? Huh. Well, that, that is getting uh, pretty abstract, I think, there. <laughs> <laughs> I is. mean, I, I, can, I, can, I, I, I don't know if this is a good way of saying it, but, but I, it, it just makes me think that there is nothing that is not the supreme being. The supreme being exactly. is all and everything. All right. exists within that, in that one great life that encompasses us all and which we all partake of. So, yep. yeah, it's all, it's all part of that. The, the line hole. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe a, a less abstract <laughs> question <laughs> might be then, how about the truths or possibly the beliefs we find within our own dream state? I'm sure you can relate to that experience of, of having a dream, you know, so clear, so distinct, and then emerging the next day with this lingering belief or this lingering truth from the scenes or the message that was delivered in the dream state do we find truths within dreams well i i you may know how my profession was a psychotherapist and i studied and and did a lot with dream interpretation and for starters i would always say to folks that if you dream of say a dream of a car have a dream and there's a car well it makes a difference if the day before you were hit by a car or if you day before you had bought a new car or if the day before or if overall your dad was a car dealer okay so symbols in dreams can be personal truth and they don't necessarily impact the way you're speaking but uh, my mentor and, and others would say uh, and I learned that uh, what you're speaking of is what my mentor called uh, a big dream, which mm. is a dream that has a deeper spiritual meaning, and it's like bringing a te spiritual teaching to you. And I think that many, many people have dream have even precognitive dreams. They dream of things that haven't yet happened that then happen. So there are yeah. profound insights that come from dreams. And I, for some years, kept a journal of my dreams, and I encourage that very much. I, uh, for me personally, I uh, saw a pattern of something that I dreamt about that then several months later, I had the, the dream with a slight variation on that. And then months later, it had a different variation on that. And when I looked at that pattern over about three, four years, it's, it was showing me something about how my life was going and how it could possibly go in the future that was very profound for me, like a spiritual direction in my life. Um, I, I wouldn't have seen it had I not kept a dream journal. So I would recommend that to, especially for those dreams that you're talking about that you feel have a great impact. And um, yeah, I would encourage writing, writing immediately as you wake up because it, that dreams 
can kind of disappear out of your memory if you don't get them down on paper pretty quickly. That's true. I, I've had the same experience where if I have just a bit of consistency in journaling around my dreams that those patterns will start to emerge. Those maybe hidden truths will also begin to emerge. And the recollection of what I'm dreaming about becomes, you know, more, more complete, more full uh, as, you know, as I continue to do that exercise. I, I love what you just said, because it ties back to where you're quoting in the ritual or, to, or speaking to the ritual, the sense of blueprint. And by your own experience, tracking those dreams and writing them down, in a way, you're looking at the design of possibly the myth or the truths in your life. You're looking at the blueprints of your full experience. Indeed, the yeah. journal also could be in some ways related to the tracing board. So I think there's some symbology in there that, uh, that you hit on. So just to recap the five psychological levels of truth, you mentioned there's personal, objective, moral, spiritual, and absolute. Right. And then we also touched upon this idea of the big dreams that we have that have spiritual meaning, one of those levels uh, built into them. Mm -hmm. Are there are there other symbols that relate to truth that you want to call out? We have, for example, the Kabbalistic God of Light with the God of Reflections and the Upside Down Tree. What mm -hmm. symbols relate to truth? <laughs> well, I'm I'm chuckling because yeah, the, the that Kabbalistic God of Light and God of Reflections is in my article in the magazine, as you well know. As is the Upside Down Tree, and these things are. Neither of them are Masonic symbols. So if you want to talk about Masonic symbols of absolute truth, I would go more with, uh, or, or with spiritual truth, say Jacob's Ladder, which is big and right. nice. There is a connection between earth and heaven symbolized by Jacob's Ladder. But at the top of the ladder also is the blazing star, another symbol of masonry of absolute truth. Divine providence, often it's called, sometimes it's a mm -hmm. seven-pointed star. And then there's the all-seeing eye in masonry. So those certainly are uh, Masonic symbols that speak toward higher truth, spiritual and absolute truth. Uh, these symbols that I put in my article, really the one that's really hard to describe, I'm this god of reflections and the god of light, and there's this bearded man with reaching his hands down into the water, and below this is his reflection, like it's reaching his hands up and they're joining hands. And somehow it forms a, a triangle above and a triangle below that are interlaced. So it's like this, the uh, six-pointed star, it's a two triangles intertwined into a six-pointed star, which sometimes is called the Seal of Solomon. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, it's really saying that the God of light creates the world reaches down into the waters, into the deep, thick matter, and creates the world. And there's that light, and there's God's reflection in our world. So we, we don't really see and know God directly, but we, do, we see the reflection of God all around us and all sorts of things. And there, so there's that idea that, that uh, God is... Uh, I don't want to say unknowable. There's something ineffable, something you can never put into words. You can't know it in the sense that you know facts. Um, mm -hmm. 
And the upside down tree comes from Hinduism, and that upside down tree is uh, has its literally is in the picture in the magazine shows the the roots of the tree sticking up toward the heavens, and then a a, a barrier there, and then the, the visible part is the tree. So all that we see in the world is kind of like uh, the expression of God, but the essence of God, where the roots go, is again beyond human senses and beyond human understanding. So I think those both point to absolute, toward absolute truth. I don't know if I've answered your question exactly. Yeah, well, the question was just to share with us some symbols. You brought to mind the, the symbol of the tree of life. I know that that's been compared to Jacob's Ladder. Mm -hmm. There's some similarities there too. Yes. Any other symbols that we might find within Lodge or that you would want us to reflect on that are Masonic and also relate to truth? The ones that I uh, spoke of cover uh, the more of the absolute, the idea of absolute truth. I, I would say truth is almost everywhere within the Masonic teachings. <laughs> you take most of the symbols and they're pointing toward moral truths. Many of them are pointing toward That's moral right. truths. So I, sure. I, I would have a hard time narrowing it down and, and picking out any ones that are specifically about truth. Yeah, and we find again that that kind of calls back to the <laughs> the first question or the second question which is which tenant which principle tenant is uh -huh. in fact you know most favored or or yeah. you know kind of the top of the rung and and truth is in everything we do yeah. and points to those five levels indeed speaking of a truth when it comes to character or you know, identifying if, if someone is a true person, again, we could use quotes here. But if we agree that true is used to indicate that a person is loyal or trustworthy, how do we ensure that the candidates who knock on our doors and come to this ancient honorable institution, how, how might we ensure that that candidate is true, loyal, trustworthy? Well, I think that the, the ritual itself tells us that um, we only accept into the fraternity good men and true. And then after you're in, you are taught to more about being a good and true man. So the way that works uh, simply is that, uh, especially in the lodges that take this idea very seriously, get to, get to know the person who is applying for membership. Uh, lodges that I know that are rigorous about this take a minimum of six months of a man coming up, coming to some of the meetings that are open meetings, dinners and so on, so that the guys who are already in the lodge get to know that person and everybody in the lodge more or less has some feeling directly about that person. What kind of a guy is this? What kind of a man is this man? Is he the kind of man right. that we think it should be in the fraternity. So there's that. And after a person applies, after everyone kind of feels that way and, and offers him an application, there's an investigating committee that the lodge forms. That's part of the process that that goes out, meets with his family, meets with the guy, talks to his wife, if he's a married guy, saying, you know, how do you feel about this? And do you have questions about masonry? And then course the grand lodge during that time does a background check to see if the person has a criminal record or anything so mm -hmm. those are the kind of things that that masonry does to ensure that you start off with good and true it's about making good men better 
It's not taking guys of the fallen completely off the rails and trying to, you know, pull them up by their bootstraps to get them back, just barely back onto the straight and narrow. Yeah. It's interesting because it just occurred to me that that process you just described in a way we're going through the five psychological levels of truth <laughs> when we evaluate the uh, if a man is is true honorable trustworthy right we have our personal opinion the way we sit down and we speak to him over dinner we have our objective opinion which might be the background checks and that investigative committee and of course there's the moral spiritual and a belief in the absolute truth which is a requirement so there's those same levels appearing uh, sort of at our at our gates before being accepted. Nicely put. Yes, I completely agree. Brother Doug, there was also a moment here in our discussion. We wanted to allow space to talk through some of the original works. Again, we have three contemporary Masonic authors who all contributed original works. And uh, calling back to previous episodes, there were three original or three authors for each of the three issues that you did. So that was um, coincidental and, and pretty unique. But will you share or take some time sharing with us who the scholars are for this issue and the topics that they present? Sure. I could just remind the listeners that the Fraternal Review has, has been traditionally a Mag magazine, monthly magazine of excerpts of other Mason's writings, pulling together little snippets of things from, you know, just a little paragraph or a couple sentences here and there to a full article of two to three pages. And it's only been in, in more recent years that we've in, uh, encouraged and invited original writing of living Masonic scholars and so the these issues these three are great examples because as you just said we have three fantastic gifted uh, writers in each of the three issues and in this one we had two uh, past grandmasters and an author of several books and the grandmasters themselves are have served at national levels of various sorts of things very accomplished men in our profession. Uh, Robert G. Davis, who's served as Grand Master of Oklahoma just this past year, uh, wrote a toast to truth for us. And here's what he says. He, he quotes Socrates saying, an unexamined life is not worth living. That's something I've heard for years, for off and on. So he Davis here, he's focusing on a certain idea about truth, which is looking within yourself and developing yourself as a person. Uh, so he writes, Socrates says an unexamined life takes us down a path of unconscious repetition. It is only the regularly examined life that allows us to seek out and find the truth of our own existence. Truth then becomes a quest that revolves around our life experience, our knowledge, our behaviors, and our commitment always to be open to the change and growth which is possible within us. And he says it's a radical act to stop and contemplate your own life. But the many lessons given to us at all stages of masonry show us very clearly and very profoundly that the life of self-examination is the only game that really matters. The discoveries we make on such a quest 
become us. We are what we think after all. That's beautiful. And it hits, I hear some of the words being echoed again in, in that piece, the notion of a quest, yes. knowledge and truth, the quest yes. for light, um, contemplation, the diagram of our, seeing the diagram or the blueprint of our life that we're living and leading. That's excellent. Who is the second author? That is Brother R. Stephen Doan, D-O-A-N. He is a past grandmaster of California. He was one of the youngest grandmasters ever to serve, which 1992 to 93 served. And he, whereas Brother Grandmaster Davis is uh, is about more about inner going inward and looking at yourself, Worshipful Brother Doan, most Worshipful Brother Doan, uh, writes about truth more as a metaphysical, a philosophical thing. And just to, again, a, a paragraph from him, metaphysically, truth is the ultimate reality of existence. So here we are talking about absolute truth, I would say. Truth is the ultimate reality of existence. In my view, the ultimate reality of existence is the harmony of the universe or the music of the spheres, a concept attributed to Pythagoras, hermetically represented in Freemasonry by the science of geometry. Geometry measures and predicts how the sun, moon, and other celestial bodies move in harmony and the sequence of seasons. It therefore becomes the symbol, geometry becomes the symbol, not just of that harmony, but also of its source, the great architect of the universe, as Masons usually say, or the great geometrician, as I prefer. Great geometrician is his preferred uh, term for the great <laughs> architect. That's great. Yeah. And we were just talking about symbols earlier and thinking of the entire field of geometry being that one of those symbols, uh, collective symbol, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's built in there. Now, the third author, Jamie Paul Lamb, uh, has just within the last few years uh, published three, had three of his books published. One, first one was on myth, magic, and masonry, and then approaching the middle chamber. Then there's another one, uh, a book of essays on Solomon's Temple. Jamie Paul Lamb uh, wrote, a, uh, speaking of symbols, wrote about symbols related to truth in this issue, and his... Uh, take on symbols. He, he um, describes the different symbols from different cultures, the Egyptians and the Romans and the Greeks and so on. And the Roman goddess of truth, in, in the, the Roman goddess of truth is portrayed as a woman holding a book. And that's on the cover of our issue on truth. So he writes about that. That goddess is named Veritas to, for the Romans, which means truth in Latin. She's the Roman goddess of truth. Veritas was sometimes depicted holding a book, either in her lap or clutched to her breast, this perhaps being an allusion to the necessity of truth to the proper functionality of the law, because the book is a book of, sometimes is a book of law, the way it's pictured. So the, it may be allusion to seeing truth as related to the law, as well as adherence to the law. In a similar, though slightly more esoteric context, the Torah, meaning law in Hebrew, is shown in the lap of the Tarot's high priestess. 
just as the volume of sacred law is to be regarded as the great light in the Masonic profession and to be considered the unerring standard of truth and justice. So the volume of the sacred law, it's interesting. So truth is holding the volume of the sacred law. Now in masonry, as we know, the Bible is often placed, is always placed on the altar and the oath of, of a mason is taken on the Bible, but it, uh, as masonry opened up and, and began to realize its values of universality more and more, now any sacred book that is sacred to that brother who's being initiated can be placed on the altar, and the oath can be taken on that book. So thus we say, instead of saying the Bible, we say the volume of sacred law. So he's clearly relating, saying the symbol of this woman holding this book, truth, is something that Masons seek and find by studying their own particular uh, religions or beliefs, uh, volume or volumes of sacred law, uh, sacred teachings. And as I said earlier, you know, when we pray at the closing of the lodge, part of that prayer is that I will study and obey the laws which God has given us in his holy word. That's the way we pray every single meeting. So we are enjoined to go out of the lodge and study spiritual teaching, spiritual texts. Wow. Thank you. That, that was uh, really nicely put. And there's, again, this just general reminder that we have different viewpoints on a fundamental concept or a foundational tenet in our craft, and yet we still have these varying viewpoints, which really build out a, a greater spectrum of, of understanding and access. That's, that's really nice. Was there a particular aspect of this topic having worked through it, or maybe there was a surprise along the way that, that came to you while working on this issue? Well, this issue, these three issues on, on the tenets are different from most of the others where I served only as editor. I gathered material from other people and I put it together and made choices about things. These three issues, like the four cardinal virtues last year, have my own writing in them. So you get my own original writings, my take on things. And that's where the surprises come in because my writing, my experience of writing is, it's a, it's a process of revelation and discovery every time. So if I start out That's to right. write about it, if I sit down and have to put something on paper, I find out how little I know about it or start writing about it and I have insights along the way. So writing okay. itself is a is a, just a delight and a, a full of surprises for me. And then going back later, so I, I was I had read this magazine again and I pulled out some of these quotes for our podcast here. And I said, oh my gosh, I oh yeah, right. It's as if I'm discovering more and more in the very things I'd already chosen or I'd already personally written by going back over them. And that's something I would encourage everyone to do uh, with these fraternal reviews. They're just rich with uh, information. They are mostly excerpts. So you can look at the bottom of the excerpt, the, the references there, go read the whole article. You know, so that there's that richness of writing and learning through research and writing that uh, has been a surprise and a delight for me. Yeah. So the delight is found within the process itself. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Excellent. I will continue writing. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> That's good to, to hear. That. 
I want to do that. Yeah. That is really good to hear. Do you have additional ways you want to reflect back on our conversation today and, and give us some guidance on a way for us to directly connect or experience truth? Well, I was just kind of alluding to that. Um, I, I would, for one thing, I would say write in a journal. I would suggest keeping a spiritual journal or Masonic journal, if you will, of your insights, your thoughts, possibly your dreams at times, uh, insights you have after seeing the ritual. Most uh, men will say that when I saw that degree for the second or third or fourth time, it, there were things in there I'd never seen before. And insights I had that I didn't realize were part of the teachings of that degree. So there's that being really alert to the teachings and knowing that there's endless uh, levels of, of learning from them. So I would say, you know, attend the, the many degrees over and over again. I would say write in a journal from time, at least from time to time, or write essays about things that you that help, will help you learn more. So study, contemplate, take the time to contemplate, meditate on these things. That's study and contemplation are absolutely recommended throughout the ritual. And uh, I I agree with that. I go along with that. Yeah, and that can help us in our quest, as we've as we've alluded to and or, or spoken about as as part of this. And I think in those moments where we go back to see the ritual again, those moments where we're writing or reflecting, contemplating, that's bringing us to what Wilmhurst calls that unobstructed knowledge or the union with the universal divine truth. So I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of good practical uh, wisdom there that you've shared. Brother Doug, now that you've, now that I guess I should say we at the Southern California Research Lodge and Fraternal Review has announced your sabbatical from Fraternal Review so that you can finish your manuscript and publish your book. And also just considering the legacy that you've built and left for us. Do you have any final words that you wanted to share? I don't know that I could add to anything that I've already said here. I just think that uh, it's remarkable that masonry offers us a deep well of learning that is it can be a lifelong process. And that uh, the beauty of masonry is that so many men from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life can become a part of it. And I think that's because masonry has this universality about it. It speaks to each of us, each of us in our own way, too. It has no dogma, so to speak, which says, you have to believe these 10 things uh, to, to be a Mason. It says, here's all the teachings. You pick and choose and pull from them what works for you. So the Fraternal Review, I think, provides a that opportunity and, and all the issues we've done over the seven years I've been the editor to um, delve into, to, to just be exposed to all sorts of different authors over 300 years of Masonic uh, development since you know the early 1700s at least. Uh, all these different authors, they're, they're, what they have learned through Masonry and from Masonry and what they have to offer you and with some of them will particularly speak to you. You read, you hear that little quote from Wilmshurst. Hey, he's written two fabulous books and a number of articles. 
go read the whole book on one source that you saw this one paragraph from. So I just uh, think that the legacy is uh, to have something out there that will live on and that will serve hopefully the current generation of Masons for years to come in terms of the fundamentals of Masonry. That's been my emphasis. Uh, the, uh, the Fraternal Review has also done issues on pop culture, which are great, you know, and <laughs> and has uh, done issues on the, the best books of the millennium and things of that nature. So it's the, it's the review has also addressed some other things. My own personal legacy, I think, is to say, look at what Masonic scholars have done. Look how broad and how many views there are. And take, take a deeper look. And you've done exactly that. I am so grateful. We're so grateful for your dedication on that front, uh, your teachings, your area of focus. The writings, I was pleased to hear that you mentioned that you will continue to write, yeah. continue that process. Indeed. Brother Doug, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for publishing these three issues on Freemasonry's principal tenets and the four cardinal virtues. We have a lot of that foundational knowledge now just within reach. You're the driving force behind that. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Brother Ian, for taking the time and uh... Fraternal Review has been published for over six decades, and each issue is dedicated to a specific topic, such as Masonic symbols, lore, and history. If you enjoyed this episode of Fraternal Review's podcast, please subscribe, support, or visit our website for more information. You can become a digital, print, or digital and print subscriber of the Fraternal Review magazine at theresearchlodge.com. 